It's actually very dangerous when we sit around critiquing the extent to which protests should or shouldn't disrupt our lives, when ultimately the right to protest benefits us all, right? We need to have a heavy dose of perspective when it comes to these conversations. The irony of Loose Women, a show called Loose Women, with women sat around a table, using their voice and advocating for themselves, debating about disruptive protests. What? Let's have some perspective. But do, well, do, that's do, the do, thing. Do you I know think, where I'm coming from? Yeah, I don't think the right to protest benefits us all. I think it doesn't benefit the people in power. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, you know, a small minority of people and in a sense not worth worrying about. But that's kind of the point, right? Is that it doesn't benefit those people, which is why it's contested whether we should be able to protest. Like the people with the most power that want to keep that power would rather that we didn't protest. Hi, Benji here. I'm Ollie. And you're listening to TikToks, the podcast where we unpack TikTok's hottest trending topics. From pop culture to social issues, we'll be stripping back the layers, helping you understand what's going down on the For You page, and saying how we feel about it. Whether it's Couch Guy, Berries and Cream, or Kate Bush's latest banger, nothing is off limits. Tune in every week for your dose of TikToks. Welcome to episode 27 of the TikToks podcast. No one has suggested how we can mark each episode milestone yet, um, <laughs> unless Ollie, you've come up with a decent suggestion. Well, I can tell you a little story. It's not really. So, one of my favorite YouTubers is called Mike's Mike. I don't know if people have heard of him. He does like video essays. He did a six hour video about Pretty Little Liars. And like he did like three part things on Gossip Girl and Glee and stuff that were all, you know, two hours long. But he's like very ingrained in pop culture in general. And he just comes out with these things. And so one of his current sayings, he's 27 and he'll be like, that's so 27. Like I went to the shop and got Whole Foods. That's so 27. <laughs> and like he'll just make things so 27 because he's doing it and he's 27 years old. So like he tells a lot of stories about what's happening in his life. He's like... No, I fell over. He's Australian. I fell over and cracked my iPhone. That's so 27. And it's ingrained within his community now to be like, that's so 27 of you. Like, that was so 27 coded. And so this episode is so 27. I feel that. I feel that though. Like, some things are just like a certain age. Like now mm. I'm 28, I recently turned 28, and some things are just 28, you know? Like for example, last night I went to a screening, a really good show actually, it's coming out on May 5th, it's called A Small Light, which tells the story of Meep, who helped preserve Anne Frank's diary and helps um, protect the Frank family when they were in hiding. Great show, definitely check it out when it comes out in May. Anyway. And then you kept, an sorry, 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 you kept that quiet. You went to a Disney Plus screening. Yeah, I told you I went to a screening last night. Oh, did I not? Did you? I, I didn't I was, think so. I, wait, I said I was a bit hungover. Yeah. Okay, fine. Oh, That's why. Where was my invite? I've taken you to a screening before. <laughs> yeah, my... I know. We went to the Fablemans. It was great. We did. I had other friends. I took my friend Claire. Yeah. Because she's yeah. really into history and she really enjoyed it. Fair. 
Don't be, um, don't be bitter. I'll take it to the next one. Where's my <laughs> invite? You don't take me anywhere. I mean, I would if I got invited anywhere. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone getting a tiny violin for poor Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, anyway. But you know what's so twenty eight? What's so twenty eight is that there was drinks afterwards, and we went to the drinks and had a couple of glasses of wine, and then they closed. They ended at like eleven p.m. And my friend and I were both 20, or she's turning 28 soon. We were like, you know what? Let's just go home. And that's very 28. That's very, very 28 because we both were like, it's midweek. We should just end the night here. Meanwhile, we were in the center of London. We could have fallen into any bars. There were many, many bars within (laughs) the square mile radius. And we were like, you know, my old self wouldn't have gone home. We would have gone out, but we didn't. Now, do you know what was also 28? It's the fact that even though we made the adult decision to go home at a decent hour after only having a couple of drinks, I'm still hungover. And that's very 28. That's very 28. Emotional growth or emotional maturity is 28. It's maturity and also it's like physical deterioration of the body because I'm hungover after a few glasses of wine where back in the day, what? I feel like they say that men hit their prime at 28. And then it's like downhill from there. Obviously, it's different for every person, but that's something that's like thrown around quite a lot. Really? Mm. Wait, let me Google that and see if that's true. Oh, it's mixed. There's no, there's no kind of sole result. But what I found out the other day is that men have a a similar thing to menopause happen to them. Did you know that? Menopause. So like. Uh, andropause. And yes, 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 andropause. Yeah, did you know about that? I guess you don't even know what it's called. I think I've heard of it, but I don't really know what happens. Andropause is a syndrome associated with a decrease in sexual satisfaction or a decline in a feeling of general well-being with low levels of testosterone in an older man. The male menopause. And I but even heard... syndrome, did you say? That's what this thing said it was called. And it happens after 40. But... Menopause happens, so we always talk about women's body clock and of course we know why we do because it's tied to reproduction and it's also tied to like, you know, the patriarchy and that'd be a huge thing, but doesn't it happen in like the late 40s? Whilst andropause starts around 40, so it happens earlier but if the, Yeah, but if they're saying it's a syndrome, then it doesn't happen to everyone, surely. So on the NHS website, it says some men, oh, they do say some men, some men develop depression, okay. Not every man experiences andropause. Okay, fine. Okay, well, fingers crossed. But it's just interesting that that is the thing that happens to men, which I didn't, I hadn't heard about before. Because you always hear about men can keep going until their 70s and, you know. Yeah. I also saw a study that said that a lot of fertility issues with older couples are actually to do with the man and not the woman. Because the sperm isn't as, like, virile. As it, as it could be, yeah. And the women just get that. blamed. Exactly, for being not quote unquote. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Interesting. How did we get on to that? We were talking about things that are 28 and oh, yeah. being the prime of your life yeah. and how your body is deteriorating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of is, but 
hey, we move. Aging is a blessing regardless, so. Indeed. Let's kick off the episode. So we're kicking off with a comment from episode 25 where we were discussing KSI and the harm of slurs. And I have an interesting comment around cancelling and influence getting cancelled, which I think provides an interesting perspective. So I'm going to be sharing that at the start. Then we're going to be discussing disruptive protesting Mm -hmm. and the extent to which protests being disruptive is a good thing and we're basically going to be discussing the extent to which we should even be criticizing disruptive protesters like just stop oil we are then going to be talking about uh out of touch influencer who has been stirring up the pot on tiktok with their musings about people's food shops and why lectures are going on strike. So we're going to be unpacking her social commentary in the second part of the episode. And Ollie, you haven't known new ones. What is it about? It's about free speech. Okay. Let's get started, shall we? So the comment that I'm putting, as I mentioned, is from the episode we were discussing slurs. We were specifically talking about influencer KSI. He was a famous YouTuber who faced backlash because they said the peace slur, a slur that is derogatory towards people who are Pakistani, but generally people who are of South Asian ethnicity. They said that slur in a YouTube video and faced backlash for it. And so we discussed the harmful impact of saying slurs regardless of intention on that episode. So please do go back and check it out if you haven't heard it already. So this person shared a really interesting comment on one of the TikTok videos we posted about it, and I'm gonna read out now. So they said, Benji Lutberg, hey. I'm not sure if you've ever covered this, but like me, you live in the UK, so you know, in every single job, slur falls under race discrimination. From my first job in 2001 at 16 till today, that falls under gross misconduct which is grounds for instant dismissal without pay. Why would everyday working people want to give celebrities special treatment over something they would get fired for themselves? I don't like the phrase cancel culture because it's literally no different than getting fired if you did the same thing while representing your place of work. Which I thought was an interesting way to look at it Because, yeah, if you were to say a slur, a racist slur, at work, right, when it was directed at somebody, not directed at somebody, that would be grounds for dismissal, right? That is gross misconduct. Even if you didn't lose your job, you know, that would be grounds for you to face significant repercussions from your HR department. Well, should be grounds. I'm sure and I know there are many workplaces and organisations where you wouldn't face any repercussions because... Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. But in general, the point does still stand. And so you think about it, like influencers, content creators, like people like us, like we don't have HR departments. The people who kind of hold our conduct to account is our audience, I guess, because ultimately we are nothing without our audience. And so they hold us to certain standards. And so you can't be, you know, irate if you violate those standards and your audience says, okay, well, you violated it in this way and this is the repercussion, I'm not gonna support you anymore. And I think it's like an interesting way to look at it because this is a job, right, in many ways. And so therefore, when you have a job, you need to adhere to guidelines when it comes to conduct and ethical behavior and that sort of thing. And so there's no reason why influencers should be exempt from that just because it's kind of maybe a non-traditional way of working. 
if that makes sense. It does. What I would say about it is is drawing out a point that you kind of already made is that it can be grounds for dismissal, but there will be some workplaces that don't then dismiss them because of it. And in the same way, like on the internet, a celebrity saying a slur can be grounds for you to no longer engage with them at all. And they might get, you know, cancelled and lose their career or lose like some ad sponsorship or whatever. Or people might choose, like the employer, they might choose to just move past it. What I think is potentially interesting is the fact that when we talk about cancel culture, less nuanced people will talk about celebrities being cancelled than people that have actually thought about the argument more but still think, like, cancel culture is toxic will point to everyday people losing their jobs and having their lives ruined by the fact that they said something anti-trans or racist or whatever. When you say, oh, but, like, what celebrity has actually be cancelled? They'll be like, okay, well, celebrities haven't, but this can ruin people's real lives. And they'll say that's why it's a bad thing. But, oh, no, actually, I was... I don't Where think are you going I was going with, like, celebrities never actually get cancelled, and the fact that real people do really face repercussions isn't evidence that cancel culture is toxic for like the average person it's just evidence that it's not working well enough for celebrities because the celebrities are able to get away with it because they have so much power whereas regular people can't get away with it because they've done something bad and they face the actual repercussions whereas celebrities have done something bad and they're able to, you know, sidestep the repercussions. And then maybe there's a sense in which people think, oh, well, if the celebrities are doing it and they're still thriving, then it should be fine for normal people to do it and still, Mm. like, thrive and keep their jobs when actually it's, like, the other way around. But I think that's all a bit too convoluted. The tail end of it kind of makes sense to me. As in, like, ultimately, it takes power to dodge accountability, right, I guess. And that's something which... You know, if you are a celebrity, if you are an influencer, you are able to use to your favour, right, to dodge accountability. And actually, we shouldn't be using such individuals, I guess, as an example of the conduct we should be upholding as, like, aspirational. Celebrity behaviour shouldn't be, like, role model behaviour. No, 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 no. And we should be very critical of, you know, the people we look up to regardless. I start my book. Hope this helps, how to be kinder to yourself and others, out now on Amazon and on Waterstones. Saying the exact same thing, you know, even the people who we look up to and we think have everything put together and who we kind of look to for advice, don't know everything there is to know about anything and they're also human, which means that we need to realise that ultimately it's important to be critical, it's important to get your information and your knowledge from various different sources before coming to your own conclusion and also it's important to be kind to yourself because you're not a perfect robot, you're a human being, you know? Yeah. So I guess, like, I agree with the commenter that if normal people can't get away with it, why should we allow celebrities to? Well, we shouldn't, but they have a lot of power. And it works. It's not just celebrities. Like, you know, the more secure you are in your hierarchical structure, the more you can get away with. So, like, tenured professors can get away with pretty much anything, you know. There have been sexual conduct allegations against loads of professors 
and they still keep their jobs. Sexual conduct? Uh, I meant sexual Mis- misconduct. misconduct yeah. But yeah, anyway. anyway, it's an interesting discussion point. And so thank you so much to the person who shared that comment on my reel. Cool, so shall we move on to the first topic we're going to be discussing today? And that is disruptive protesting. So just for some backstory as to why we are discussing this today. So recently, Just Stop Oil, who are an uh, environmental activist group, disrupted the evening session of the World Snooker Championships in Sheffield in the UK, which is apparently a big deal in the snooker world. Have you seen snooker before? I've watched some of the like big championships on the TV. My dad and brother quite like watching snooker. So I was going to say, like, my dad always used to watch snooker when I was a kid like on the family TV. And I'd always be sat there like, this is so boring. (laughs) I I think I find it more interesting. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I think part of it is like, I don't think we understand the scale of snooker tables because presumably you've played pool before, have you? Yes, I have. Snooker tables are like so much bigger than a pool table. And if you think about how difficult it is to get a shot in when it's like far away on a pool table, Mm. like compared, it's so much harder on a snooker table and I don't think that comes across. And so I think it's interesting in that respect, like it's impressive that they have this skill, but also it feels like such a man's, Mm. like Tory man's, sport to play professionally and it's a really weird one because pool feels like the opposite pool feels like the working class men the working men's club would have a pool table that everyone would play games around and Mm. pool at uni is you know and then you just get snooker which feels like so posh for me snooker is like the posh version of like darts i say like darts as a sport is for your working man yeah and like snooker is for like your Tory. But I don't know as well because when outsiders in the world of snooker, for all we know, it's a very accessible sport. But no, but also, I mean, come on. Like, look at the, you know, when they have the championships, you've got basically a butler, like, standing there and he's got his white glove and he sort of cleans the ball and places it back for them and they all have to wear suits when they're playing in the championships. That is not a working man's sport. It's, all I'm saying, it was saying is we don't have enough information to, to found these claims. If you're listening to this and you're a snooker fan, let us know if you have the correct assessment. Anyway, basically, uh, just stop all your protests that disrupted the evening session of the World Snooker Championship in Sheffield. Basically, a guy jumped on uh, one of the snooker tables mid-match, messed up the balls, and emptied a packet of orange powder all around him and shouted some stuff and was quickly bundled off the table. Um, apparently there was also another protester who was trying to disrupt another match as well, but was stopped from doing so. On Twitter, Just Stop Oil said that it was demanding that the government immediately stop all new UK fossil fuels uh, projects and are calling in UK sporting institutions to step into in civil, I guess it means like step in to support civil resistance against the government's genocidal policies. So that is why they were at the event disrupting it and trying to kind of drive awareness for their cause. That has coincided with another activist group called Animal Rising, who disrupted a horse race this week as well. And they basically, in a similar way, ran into the field, the race course, as the race was going on and like stopped the race. Obviously very dangerous, harkening back to suffragette 
tactics as well. Animal Rising's mission is essentially one of animal rights. And they were trying to shine a light on the fact that horse racing is, is very dangerous for horses and many horses actually die as a result of such races. And I, I've seen like protests on my feed actually of people being like signed a petition to like, ban horse racing in the UK because it's harmful and XYZ. Those two coinciding has sparked, well, reignited, I would say. This discussion is, is always kind of bubbling below the surface, I would say, but reignited this debate about disruptive protests and the extent to which protests should be disruptive. Loose Women came under fire this week for a Twitter poll that they posted. So Loose Women is a, a daytime talk show and fronted by a panel of women and discuss kind of topics and certain issues and current affairs. And they did a Twitter poll asking quite bluntly, should protesting be banned? Yes or no? And not only did 95% or 98% of people vote no, but they got absolutely dragon slated for asking the question. They had to delete the question, but they still discussed the topic on Loose Women on the next episode, but instead they used the title, do disruptive protests work? And so that's just one example. I've seen many tabloids, like newspapers, pose this question. Should protests be disruptive? To what extent are disruptive protests helpful and basically a lot of people are expressing anti-protest sentiments as a result of these protests and I want us to discuss this because I have quite strong fervent views about this and I know you do as well Ollie should I go first or would you like to share your point of view well you've spoken for a while so I have so off you go okay yeah so I mean, well, I guess baseline, obviously, I think that protesting should be allowed. Disruptive protesting should also be allowed. However, my question is more about whether disruptive protesting is effective. And I've spoken about this on my account before on TikTok about this thing called the activist's dilemma, which is the extreme forms of protest are great at raising awareness for your cause. However, what they don't do is put the public's opinion on your side. They actually drive the public away from you. So you raise awareness for it, but also you make the general public less likely to agree with you. You sort of alienate them a bit in the process because you're doing things that they deem to be like too far or too much. And another big problem of that is that activists that will go ahead and do an extreme protest tend to believe that the public feel as strongly about an issue as they do, which just in general isn't the case. Like it would be amazing if we all cared about animal rights and the environment as much as these activists who are dedicating their entire lives to trying to stop it and like mm. kudos to them for doing so but the reality is that most people don't care as much because otherwise they'd also be devoting their entire life to it so what you get when you have an extreme protest is a load of awareness but also you push the public away from your cause it's been found sometimes you can then, after that one extreme act, do some more moderate forms of protest to sort of curry favour and bring the public back onto your side. And I used the example, do you remember the whole, like, throwing paint on the Van Gogh painting? Yeah. What group did that? That was Just Stop Oil. Just that was Just Stop Oil, okay. Oil as well. Okay, right. Yeah. So they threw paint on a... It was protected by glass, so the painting wasn't actually damaged. But threw paint on a Van Gogh painting at a museum, and then everyone was sort of annoyed about it, and it was seen as an extreme protest. And then they kind of dialed things back 
with a video afterwards from the person who did it explaining like their motivations why they did it how they knew that ultimately it wouldn't do any harm to the painting they just needed to raise awareness for the climate and then people were in the comments being like do you know what i didn't like this person before but now i actually kind of agree with them they're making good points and stuff like that so it can work to start with extreme protest and then dial it back to get the public on your side the problem that i see with this extreme protest for climate change is that the main objective of extreme protests is to raise awareness and it's like the awareness is already everyone knows that we're in a climate crisis people just can't be bothered to do anything about it so it's not that there's a lack of awareness and so i suspect that extreme protest isn't a disruptive protest in that sense because they often go hand in hand. I'm sure you could find examples that aren't, but generally if it's disruptive, it's you know seen as extreme by the public at least. That kind of protesting isn't necessarily effective. Even if it should be allowed, I don't think it's necessarily effective for something like climate change. Mm. What I would say is that awareness isn't just about discovery, i.e. awareness isn't just about being like, hey, you don't know about this thing, here's this thing that you should know about, right? Even though I am sure there are still many people who do need to know more about the climate and the extent to which the issue has reached a, a critical point and the ways in which the climate crisis will affect them and not just them, but, you know, many people in society and it is affecting many people across the globe right now, right? And impacting their lives. But it's not just about that. It's also about saliency. Awareness driving is also about keeping things top of mind and the things that ultimately Yes, a lot of people do understand that the climate crisis is a thing they should be worrying about, but what are they doing about it? They're not doing anything about it. I would actually wager a guess that most people who claim to be like, yeah, well, I know about the climate crisis, I know about just stop oil, and actually I was caring about it, but now that you've done this and shot to protest, it's time to be off you. They only talk about the climate crisis when just stop oil do a protest when there's a similar disruptive protest. Other than that, it's business as usual. And so the thing is what these protests do is that they bring these topics to the surface. They make them, them top of mind. Now, whether or not they drive a positive or a negative sentiment, like, you know, I'm not gonna disagree with you there. I do feel like disruptive protests do turn people off, right? You know, if I went to a snooker match and someone jumped on the table and threw paint around when I paid my good money to have a nice day out, like I wouldn't be too thrilled, you know what I mean? But ultimately I would hope that what I would then realize is that all they're trying to do is just bring my awareness to a really pertinent issue that I should be caring about and that I should be doing more about. And I would say that if you are somebody who sees a disruptive protest like that happen and your first reaction is to be like, oh, well, now I just don't care about this really important issue. I would argue that you are somebody who either A, is genuinely ignorant, you need to know more about the issue because you should really care about it, right? Or two, you are somebody who wasn't going to care in the first place. Do you know what I mean? And so I therefore don't feel like it's in the interest of protesters like Just Stop Oil to cater to the whims of people who will be turned off of their cause just because they've had their lives 
lives disrupted in some way or they've had an experience they were hoping to have disrupted in some way like a snooker match or like a horse race do you know what i mean now that's not me saying that we can't have discussions about the extent to which protests should put innocent people in harm's way because i know like, i did a video about why protests should be disruptive last year and people did raise a point that around the time of the video, there are people who were sitting in the road and um, stopping ambulances getting through. And then people did kind of suffer as a result who needed urgent medical attention. I think that's a fair criticism. That's a valid conversation. But if we're talking about whether we should allow protests to be disruptive, as a general principle, I think yes. And I think it's actually very dangerous when we sit around critiquing the extent to which protests should or shouldn't disrupt our lives, when ultimately the right to protest benefits us all right we need to have a heavy dose of perspective when it comes to these conversations the irony of loose women a show called loose women with women sat around a table using their voice and advocating for themselves debating about disruptive protests what let's have some perspective but do, well do, that's do, the do, thing do you know i think where i'm coming from yeah i don't think the right to protest benefits us all i think it doesn't benefit the people in power okay right yeah yeah which is like you know, a small minority of people and in a sense not worth worrying about. But that's kind of the point, right? Is that it doesn't benefit those people, which is why it's contested whether we should be able to protest. Like the people with the most power that want to keep that power would rather that we didn't protest. Mm -hmm. um, but so going back to what you were saying about the raising awareness and the top of mind and saliency, I think there's perhaps like a slight conflation of awareness and action there because what I'm saying about extreme protest is that it raises awareness and then what you're saying is that it's good at raising awareness and it feels like your response was that a part of awareness is doing something about it and those two things feel like separate things to me. And I think what I understand is that extreme protest does a good job at raising awareness, but it doesn't make anyone take action. And what we really need for something like the climate crisis is people taking action. And people aren't inclined to take action when they see extreme protest. Mm. So we need to sort of focus on more moderate things. Like, you know, I mean, it's not a good example because it wasn't very impactful, but the whole save the turtles, like don't use plastic straws, helping people make smaller, habitual, meaningful changes that can, using collective action, have a meaningful impact which doesn't really seem to be the focus of extreme protesting. I wasn't trying to argue that part of awareness driving is getting people to take action. I get those two separate things. I guess maybe what I was trying to argue is that people maybe aren't as aware as maybe you may think they are, or some people think they are. I do genuinely believe that there are many, many people who lack an awareness and like that sufficient awareness when it comes to the climate crisis. And when I say sufficient awareness, to be more specific, as in they don't think it's a pressing issue. Like they don't believe, yeah. they think it's a problem for another day, it's something that's happening elsewhere, it's, it doesn't affect them, and it's not critical, right? And so stuff so like do this... You think, yeah, yeah. Do you think, and this is this is not like trying to trap you or anything, it's a, mm -hmm. very, it's a very real possibility, but do you think that if people had a sufficient understanding of just how bad the climate crisis was and enough awareness had been raised 
in that sense that they understood really how bad it was then there would be no like avoiding the fact that they would take action kind of thing if people really understood and had the awareness then they would be doing more so i think naturally more people would be doing more some people would still not do anything because there are many like because you know for many different reasons that you can notice something that's really bad and still not care about it try i mean but I think more yeah. people would be doing more. And I think what would be more indicative is the response. Do you, do you know what I mean? Okay, so I'm going to attempt, I hate comparing different social issues. And there's many issues that arise when you do that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to do it now, acknowledging that it's problematic to do so. But I'm trying to make a general point, And I think it may serve this specific purpose, right? I think the climate crisis compared to other social issues, such as like, poverty and racism and like misogyny i feel like people feel a bit more emboldened than those other issues to stand on like public platforms and deny that it's an issue that is like pressing or like even should be cared about or people should be concerned about and i think it's because there is genuinely not sufficient awareness about how critical the issue is and I hope that I hope that comparison I'm using makes sense. I'm not at all saying that it's the same as those or that we even should be comparing different systems of oppression or even comparing social issues. But I'm using it as an example of just the extent to which I do genuinely believe that a lot of people don't have, you know, and maybe even me included, are not existing in a space where they are sufficiently aware about the extent to which this is a problem. And an oppressing problem. And there's something that I talk about in my book as well. So much in my book again. That like, we have people in the UK, people in London, who are dying as a result of the climate crisis. I've had people come out to me and be like, I, when I read that in your book, I was shocked. I've mentioned that at talks I've done and they'd be like, really? And I'm like, yes. For many years, people genuinely, for whatever reason, I think aren't as sufficiently like checked in or clocked into that discussion. And so to kind of round off my point, I think when it comes to stuff like Just a Boil, I think the the awareness driving they're doing, I think there is a need for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think it's tricky because, you know, we can never predict perfectly what the best cause of action is going to be. Mm. Like, it's difficult to know whether what they're doing is, you know, more positive or more negative. I think the point that I made in the video and the point that I would make again is that I wouldn't ever tell them, like, you shouldn't do that form of protesting. You should mm. do something else. I would just hope that people are aware of the negative impact it can have. Because if you're just, like, going about doing this extreme protest thinking that, oh, this is going to be so good, we're going to get so many people on our side, like, be informed about the impact that it can have. And I hope, well, I'm not part of any of the, these organisations, I hope they have researchers looking at this kind of thing and trying to come to predictions as to what's going to strike the right balance. And maybe they do, but maybe it doesn't always, you know, go well, go the way that was predicted. I don't know how useful the Van Gogh thing was. I don't know how useful this thing will be if it's getting negative press. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's such a tricky one. It's such a tricky one. 
I'm like, there's a limited amount I can say on it because at least to an extent, or at least in theory, they're out there doing something, which is more than I can say about myself. Like, mm. I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, like getting on with my life, whereas they're out there dedicating their life to trying. And so perhaps if you're sort of a consequentialist, that doesn't mean anything if they end up having a negative impact. But if you ascribe to Kantian ethics, which is more about like the intent than which you definitely aren't, but like intent over impact, which is like Kantian ethics, essentially, kind of. I'm sure some philosopher will be very annoyed at my bastardization of Kantian ethics there. But if you care more about intent than impact in that sense, then they're being far more virtuous than I am. So yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why I said like me included, like I am also sat here. I'm a man with a mic on a podcast, right? Ultimately talking about these things. I'm not saying this is all I do, but you know, you know what I mean? Like I think having self-awareness as well is just really, really key because when it boils down to it, a lot of our rights, no matter what identity you have, right? Whether you are a person of color, whether you are part of the LGBTQ plus community, whether you are somebody who was of a lower socioeconomic status, whether you are disabled, I could, the list goes on, right? A lot of the, the rights you have are because of people like Justin Oil, who devoted part of their lives or all of the, you know, their whole lives taking direct action, right? Going out into the streets, risking their lives to fight for what is right. And it's totally fine. You're entitled to have your opinions, your feelings, to be annoyed, X, Y, Z, but just have some perspective. Think about the context of where we stand in history. And the government in the UK is trying to pass a public order bill which will give the police great extensive powers to clamp down on protests which they believe to be too disruptive. And that's a pressing issue. So let's just have a perspective. Also, Let's think intersectionally as well. And this is also me just trying to save my point from earlier. <laughs> you know, we can't compare systems of oppression. We can't compare struggles, but we can say that they're linked. The climate crisis disproportionately impacts communities of color. That's just a fact. You can't be anti-racist and not care about the climate crisis. And I saw people who talk a lot about anti-racism on my feed this week, dragging just up oil. It's like, let's think intersectionally, please you are disproportionately impacted by this issue that they're fighting for. So yeah, that's also something that's really important to raise. I'm interested to learn how it disproportionately affects people of colour in the UK. So one key example is housing. So the fact that people of colour are more likely to live in like social housing or inadequate housing, housing which exposes them to greater pollution right, harmful toxins, that sort of thing. You get communities of colour who live very close to like building works and, and motorways and, and that sort of thing. But the first person in the UK to have pollution as their cause of death was a young Ghanaian girl who lived in Lewisham, I believe, in South London anyway. And yeah, and she died, the cause of death was pollution. So that's just one example. In general, yeah. it's also because of structural inequality as well. So the fact that communities of colour tend to do certain jobs, which expose them to greater environmental factors. So that's also another thing. Mm. And obviously on an even wider scale, it's very apparent how climate change disproportionately affects the global south. And, yes. you know, migration crises because of climate change. And we're sort of still just about managing in the UK. But even if you go slightly south to France, there are thousands, I think, thousands of people dying because of the heat in summer. 
I think, was that the same in the UK this year? Or last year, rather? I feel like we might have talked about it on the podcast, on one of the very first episodes. Um, maybe. Maybe. That, like, a lot of people were dying. Or maybe we spoke about it just, like, us, we had a chat about it. But there was a point in the news where they were talking about how people were going to die. Like, the scientists were predicting deaths because of the heat in summer. And then, you know, on the news, the weather reporters and people were just, like, having a nice laugh about how it was going to be a nice hot day for you to go and sunbathe, whilst, like, they knew that the excess deaths because of the heat was going to significantly increase. Yeah, but that's a fact, right? When the weather's really yeah. hot and the weather's really cold, like, people die. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we spoke about that, but we didn't speak about it on the podcast. Um, but it's true, and it, it tends to be people who are older and people who are disabled as well, right? Who have certain disabilities, yeah. Yeah, and it's well. been happening so much in France. And so if it's happening in France, think about the global south. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then people migrate. Obviously, there's an element of privilege because the most privileged is always going to be more or less fine. But even if you are the most privileged, you're at least going to be inconvenienced by the climate change crisis. So mm-hmm. it's in your interests too, Bestie, to help fight this, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, probably yeah. xenophobic and don't want a load of immigrants in your country, so help solve the climate crisis. Again, let's think critically and let's have perspective. Yeah, you can't be anti-small boats if you're not doing anything about the climate crisis or you don't think the climate crisis is a problem or it is an issue because the amount of people that are migrating because of the climate crisis is rising every year. These things are linked, you know? One plus one equals two. Yeah. So again, I think like there isn't sufficient understanding about the issue and whether or not disruptive protesting is the best way to, to drive people to learn more at least they're out there doing something and at least they are driving awareness in some sort of way and i think there is value in that that more people should acknowledge before they start moaning about you know their snooker match being disrupted shall we move on but listeners please do weigh in let us know your thoughts on that discussion and now we're going to move on to the no nuance for this week, which is you, Wally. Are you ready? I am ready for my no nuance. All right. Okay. So your time starts now. One of my pet peeves is when people on the internet or off the internet will be like, oh, but free speech, free speech, when we're saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't say the F slur, maybe you shouldn't say the N word, oh, but free speech, because it's not responding to the actual point. You think you're doing something, but you're not. Freedom of speech is a legal right, which means that you can legally say things, right? You legally have the right to express yourself. But when we say, maybe you shouldn't say the N word, That's not we're saying legally you're not allowed to, we're saying morally you shouldn't. The law and morality are two different things. So you don't gain anything by replying, oh, but free speech says I'm allowed to, because that's not what we're talking about. We're asking you, do you have the morals to stop yourself from saying this word that could hurt people? Not, are you legally allowed? Do you have the legal right? And I really just wish people would understand that. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, retweet, no lies detected. I posted a clip on the podcast where we were talking about why people shouldn't say the N-word or say slurs. And somebody commented on that video to be like, we can say whatever we want, actually, Benji. 
And I was like, yeah, yeah I, I, saw that. I, I know. Is, is that the hill you want to die on? That you, you can say a slur if you want to? Is that, mm-hmm. is that the point you're making? Is that, okay, cool. Yeah. That's not the debate. That's not the discussion. Okay, like, catch up. Keep up. Come yes, you have the ability to form those <laughs> words in your mouth. Congratulations. I think I've said this before in the podcast, but sometimes I feel like people respond to stuff I say and stuff we say as if we get some sort of like spidey sense whenever they say or do something that contradicts what we think. And we're gonna jump into like the TikTok mobile and like, and, like race over there and tackle them to the ground. <laughs> like, okay, but like, maybe we should. Like, Would it be so bad? I mean, it's, it, that's just not the point though. Like, that's just not the discussion we're having. Yes, of course you can do whatever you want. Like, that's not the, the, that's not the point. Like, what? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Can doesn't mean you should. Period. Exactly. It's like if someone to respond to, like their parent who's saying, "If you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all." And then that person being like to their parent, "But I can say it." So, like, actually, I will. It's like, okay, but that's not. They were saying that you should don't say it though. We get that you yeah. can, just you shouldn't. Okay. Next topic. Yes. So do you want to intro the audience to the wonders of Olympia? Is that her name? Olympia? Olympia. 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 As someone (laughs) online said. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, she hasn't popped up on my For You page, but people commenting on her have in the past week. Basically, she's this second year Bristol University student. I don't know what she's studying, actually. Probably law. And she, you know, she's a little bit of an influencer. She's got a bit of a bit of a following mm. on social media about like her life as a uni student and how she travels and does uni at the same time and things like this. And you may know her as the why is everybody striking girl from previous bad takes. But recently she put up a video being like, I'm not one to judge people and then judged people for like... <laughs> A solid 60 seconds. And it was about the person in front of her at the supermarket and what they had ordered and how it was a load of, like, white bread and pot noodles and stuff, but they had also bought a load of pills and medicine and she was just trying to make a point like yeah i just think put healthy things into your body first and then you won't have to use the drugs to suppress them and like i just wish everyone would be kinder to themselves kind of thing she really thought she was doing something insightful but all she was really doing was judging someone that she had no idea who they were or what they were doing. I saw that video go viral, and I think it's still up, which, sure. Yeah, it is. It's got, sorry, it's got 1.6 million views and only 17,000 likes. You know something's gone wrong when only one in a hundred people are liking it. But I think it's also just a sign of her privilege that she's just like, keeping it up, because it's not going to affect her life, is it, really? It's not. Anyway, so, yeah, she is essentially judging people who may not necessarily have the access and may not have the the resources to eat the lovely greenery that I'm sure she gets from Whole Foods or wherever or shop in a way that is totally quote unquote like healthy and good for you. Some people do need to work with what they have and especially now with this cost of living crisis like some people do need to just make however, however much money they have for the week last and 
some people do just need to make sure that their family are fed. And if their family need medication and they need to, to eat, like sustenance, then they're gonna use their money to buy whatever will, you know, meet that objective. And they don't need you making it worse for them, making them feel bad for having to do what they need to do to survive. And I think the reason why the response was so intense to this video is that the situation right now in the UK when it comes to the cost of living is so dire. I would say that there is a significant amount of the population who maybe a year ago didn't necessarily need to think about how much they were spending in a weekly food shop who now do. I definitely can be upfront and honest and say that I've never been in a position where I've been able to go and shop at M&S or like Whole Foods or to splash out on like salmon every day. But I would say, yeah, like a year ago, I would go to Iceland or Aldi, you know, my budget food stores, and I would just load my basket and hit the till. I would. And now I don't, I can't afford to do that anymore. I have to like sit down, write a list. I have to go to certain places because it's like stuff has gotten really expensive. And I'm sure there's a part of the population who are of a lower socioeconomic class, who are, you know, living in relative poverty, who have always had to think this way, who are now even greater impacted by the situation. And so it's a privilege to now suddenly care. But I think a lot of people are now just in it, who weren't in it before, which makes stuff like this just, you know, so much more anger-inducing and so, like, just infuriating for just so many more people, if that makes sense. Yeah, and to add more fuel to the fire, this girl will make content about, like, travelling during her uni experience. And she's like, yeah, I tried to go travelling, like, at least twice a month during my degree. And then she's had comments on her videos saying, I thought you were at uni, how are you able to go travelling at the same time? And so she makes this entire video, right? An entire video explaining how she's able to do it. So you might reasonably expect that to be, you know, explaining what kind of job she's getting while she's doing it to support it or to finance it. Something to do with the finances at the very least. At least being like, oh, well, you know, I'm just quite lucky. My dad pays for my flights. My daddy pays for my flights. The entire video, she's just talking about how she manages to organise her uni life around travelling. It's nothing to do with the finances. Yeah, I'm just organised with my work. I get it done at the right times. Also, I asked the university administrators to, like, rearrange my lectures so they were on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays so I could have long weekends. And if you do that, like, they'll definitely do it for you as well. Sorry, no they won't. I don't know how you managed to do that, but... My lectures have, like, hundreds of people in them. They're not just going to rearrange everything or, like, give me private lectures. Like, I don't know what she's talking about there. And then she says at the very end, and also I managed to get free flights and watch part two to find out how. And so there's finally, finally, right, there's something to do with finances and how she's able to finance it. I watched part two. I did my, oh. my due diligence. Okay. And she talks about getting free flights, very specifically free flights in the first video. Then she goes and like basically advertises Hopper, which is some like discount code app or something for flights with referrals and she's like yeah so doing this my flights never cost me more than about a hundred pounds anywhere in Europe and I'm like you are so out of touch you're going on holiday 
twice a month and you're like, oh, they never cost more than £100, essentially equivocating that to being free in your last video. And you're a uni student. Like, you have to be privileged to be forking out £100. Like, obviously some flights are even more expensive than that. But to be forking out £100 on a flight as a uni student, you must have so much financial privilege. And the fact that she just doesn't even acknowledge this in the slightest, it's shocking. And it's exactly what like half of my channel is parodying. I make a lot of jokes on TikTok about like rich uni students. And yes, I am in a place of immense privilege, but like I can acknowledge that. I know that I'm a very privileged person. I come from a well-off background. Like, I wouldn't say that my parents could, like, buy me flights to go travelling twice a month, and they definitely wouldn't, even if they could, but I'm still a privileged person. I will acknowledge my privilege on a regular basis when I'm making these videos, because, like, you could easily mistake me for one of them and to an extent I am but what I'm really making fun of is like those people that just don't understand their privilege have no awareness so out of touch and she's like the epitome of that right she's the epitome of a Bristol raw student that was easily just a 10 minute run about this poor girl but mm. well actually she's not poor is she she's, she's incredibly poor, no. wealthy <laughs> I think you made so many great points there and I think like the thing about acknowledging your privilege is that it doesn't take, sometimes it takes making a statement, but it doesn't always take that. Sometimes it takes just shutting up because someone like this, this person, this individual who, and by the way, for those who haven't come across her before, you know, we are not making any assumptions here. This is someone of immense privilege and wealth, not her directly. I'm sure it's almost certainly her parents and her family. And you can tell that by looking at her TikTok account and things that she is able to afford to do, right? And the thing is that if she acknowledged her privilege, if she acknowledged the fact that she is in a position of great wealth and great access, what she would do is just shut up. Someone like her doesn't need to be sat in front of a ring light talking about whether lecturers should strike, how people should, you know, travel and study at the same time, talking about what people should be putting into their food basket. We don't need that information from you. Do you know what we need from you? Do you know what I'd love for you to do? I would love for you to take daddy's money and go down to the boutique Okay, go shopping, do some get ready with me's, you know, or not even that, like, just have an interest and show that to us. Be expressive, be creative. I watch that. No one would judge you for that. Just be rich in peace. And like, no one would be at your door with pitchforks, okay? Go on nice vacations. Yeah. Show us a, a, a pretty landscape or something, a sunset, a sunrise. Like, do that. If you want to have a platform online, have a yeah. following. You are not the person we mean to be talking to when it comes to what we should or shouldn't be buying at the supermarket. You can't relate to the struggle. Acknowledge that and move on. Keep it quiet. Yeah. There are plenty of rich people on the internet that get along just fine without causing any controversy. Like, they hard. know their lane to an extent and they stay in it. Yeah. Do the same, girl. Honestly, and you'd be a lot happier for it. But you know what it ultimately boils down to, and I said this when we started having this conversation, all of this is meaningless. It means nothing. It means nothing to her. It, you, you, and you know it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything yeah. to her. Because someone like that is just gonna go about her day, go about her life, finish her degree, get 
a job because of her parents' connections and just be rich in peace. We were essentially shouting into the void. But it's fun to do. It's cathartic. It is cathartic. It's very Um, therapeutic. And thank you listeners for listening into our therapeutic session. All right, shall we wrap up there? Yeah, I think so. Okay, 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 okay. Thank you so, so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please, please do give us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because that really, really helps us out. Please also do remember to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at TikToksPodcast. And whenever you see our content, please do like and bookmark, share and comment, engage with our content because that also really helps us. And you can also email us at thetiktokspodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, that is it. Any last cool. words, Ollie? No, we had a few more ratings. So thank you for that. We love you. Lovely. And Lovely. slay the day, everyone. Slay the day. Slay the day. <laughs> All right. All right, bye. Bye.